I do think as a consumer, it's really important for you to know what's really happening when brands are talking about the impact because that's what's keeping them accountable. That's what makes them transparent about their efforts. And that's also a really big part of what we're doing. I think today, it's like you said, there's a lot of fear about adopting solutions that you don't think are 100% perfect. Welcome to the Brands for a Better World podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories behind people and products, building a more just, healthy, and regenerative future for us all. Tune in weekly, and together, we'll learn why these better products and brands were created, how they're helping fix broken systems, and what you can do to support them. My hope is that you'll discover some new brands to love and get some sparks of inspiration that will help you live your best life. Hi, I'm your host, Gage Mitchell founder of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow to scale their impact. This podcast is one way we do that. If you like the show, please help it grow by leaving ratings and reviews on your podcast app and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Maybe this will be one of them. This episode is part of a 2023 impact-driven gift guide series where we're digging deeper into some of the impact certifications we chose to feature in this year's guide so you have a better understanding of what they each mean and how they're helping make the world better. To get your copy of the gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. This episode's guest is Anjali Mopani, Senior Business Partnerships Manager at Repurpose Global. And we're talking about the plastic neutral certification that you'll see in the guide, the frightening scale of the global plastic problem, and how Repurpose is actively removing plastic from the environment with the support of their certified brands and people like you who buy those brands. We then wrap up with a fun gift theme rapid fire question segment. Enjoy. Hi everyone, I'm Anjali and I'm a part of Repurpose Global, the world's leading plastic action platform. I've been a part of the company for the last three years. And when I say it out loud, it does not seem that long to me. But just because of how much the space has grown and evolved in the last three years, it feels it feels a lot longer than that. And I'm really excited to be here today. So thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to have you. This is uh, an episode I've wanted to do for a while, and it's just lovely that we get to do it as part of this impact-driven gift guide series. So thanks for joining me. Of course. So what we're here to talk about today, though, as you mentioned, is plastic. And I've noticed that the, plas- the movement against plastic, especially single-use plastic, is growing. Some Better for the World brands are switching to like bioplastics as a renewable source or ideally as a compostable solution. And some are switching to post-consumer waste sources to kind of support the circular economy. And then some brands are just doing whatever they can to elim- eliminate plastic altogether. But of course... <laughs> those aren't always an option. Like sometimes you just can't eliminate plastic. Like you have multi-layer packaging for moisture barrier or something like that, and you just can't get rid of it. So in those particular cases, luckily, Repurpose Global stepped up to try to help take action. So tell us a little bit about the plastic neutral certification. What does it mean and how does it work? Of course, very exciting. I think I can talk about this forever, honestly, just because it's such a key area of impact. And I think you hit the nail, like you really hit the nail on the head because the way that this works is that in my opinion, the plastic neutral certification is one of the many pathways that you can take towards impact creation. It's a very comprehensive process that is helping brands feel empowered by calculating or measuring their plastic footprint, 
reducing it for the future while creating impact on the ground today. It's like you mentioned, it's every single brand that we talk to today. And it's something that's really heartening for me to see as someone who works in this space wants to cut down on plastic. Like everyone's goal when we talk to them today is, oh, we want to be plastic free by 2025. Oh, we want to be plastic free by 2030. And they all talk about so many of the initiatives that they're already a part of, like the fact that they're using post-consumer recycled plastic or they're using bio-based materials or they're experimenting with compostable plastic. But the unfortunate reality is that you don't have alternatives for every single piece, every single component in your packaging. So let's say we're talking about frozen food brands today. And it's a change that I've been seeing so much when I go to grocery shops. And I think you actually also know about it. You posted on LinkedIn that how do you know someone is in the CPG space? And it's only because they spend hours (laughs) just at a grocery store. And like one thing that I've seen change so much just in the last couple of years is that today when you go to the frozen food section, you barely see plastic packaging outside of the food. Like you see cardboard boxes and inside, of course, they have plastic packaging because they can't really do anything else about it. But outside, everyone these days has just removed plastic from their packaging wherever possible. And they're trying to wrap it in cardboard. They're trying to wrap it in paper just to make sure that they're reducing their consumption as much as possible, which really brings me back to the certification. And if I have to put it very simply, the plastic neutral certification for brands, by that, it means that you're enabling the recovery of as much plastic waste as you're producing in your packaging, in your supply chain, in your operations, in your shipping. And as a consumer, you know that every single purchase that you're making of a plastic neutral or a plastic negative or any product that's really funding plastic action with us is that you are contributing to funding plastic recovery on the ground in some of the world's most polluted areas. And you'll probably hear me say this a lot today, but The entire global plastic crisis really doesn't have one silver bullet solution to kind of combat it. Like you'll wave a wand and suddenly like no one will have to use plastic. All the plastic will disappear from our ocean. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be really good. (laughs) But it's just how it is in the real world. And what we want to do is make sure that companies have the tools that they need to kind of bridge the gap between where they are today, which is Unfortunately, we still have to use a little plastic while we're trying to reduce it to where they want to be, which is we don't want to use any plastic. And we want them because at the same time, you are still using plastic while you're trying to reduce it. So what happens to the plastic that you're producing in the next five years while you're trying to achieve your zero plastic goal? So we really just want to make sure that companies feel empowered to take action on that footprint and at the same time reduce it for the future. Yeah, what I love about this is it takes that progress over perfection mindset, right? Where I think some areas of sustainability can be an all or nothing kind of mentality. Like what, you didn't eliminate all your plastic, then why are you even trying? Or or, what, you're not 100% regenerative organic, then why are you even like trying to be organic, right? So I get that, that mentality because we do want and need to push further than the bare minimum because we're heading towards a pretty nasty crisis as a species. And if we don't figure this stuff out, we're going to be in trouble. However, people can't just wave a magic wand, like you mentioned, and fix everything. So I like that there are options like this that exist that say, hey, look, we know it's going to be difficult. We know it's going to take you time to eliminate all the plastic out of your supply chain. But that doesn't mean you do nothing until you can figure it out. Let's make progress. Let's make steps. Let's offset 
let's eliminate, let's reduce, like let's do what we can to clean up the planet along the way as well. So I like that mentality. And then also one thing worth pointing out is I know it's for consumers especially, but even maybe some people in the industry, we get so caught up on just the plastic on the primary packaging, right? But there's also the secondary and tertiary packaging, and then there's the shrink wrap in your pallets, and then there's zip ties, and there's packing materials, and there's packing tape, and there's just a zillion other ways that plastic ends up in a supply chain. And I think that's part of what's beneficial about taking a look at all of your supply chain, even though it's not visible to the consumer per se, (laughs) like the consumers want less plastic, right? So it's like, oh, if I take out the plastic in my packaging, then I've done my good. But there's a lot of other plastic in the supply chain. So I love that you also focus not just on the package itself, but the whole supply chain. Yeah, like one thing that we've actually found is that the supply chain plastic, the one that's most invisible, is also easier. Like it doesn't always have alternatives, but brands are so focused on removing like plastic from their primary packaging that sometimes when they see that, oh, they can also reduce it in the secondary packaging, it's just such a light bulb moment almost. Because you're like, oh, I did not even see that it used this much plastic until we started calculating and figuring out what hotspots we actually have. So it's always a very nice exercise. Like one thing that I always say is that even if you don't want to take action on your footprint today, you should still do a comprehensive footprinting analysis just so that you know what your current status is and where you need to go from there just so that you can set actionable goals. Yeah, I love that. And of course, I think one of the reasons why some people are afraid to start making progress is because they feel like whatever actions they do might come across temporarily as maybe some a little bit of greenwashing or as they make little progress in some area, some people in their supply chain might green shame them as like this new thing, right? So there's like not being perfect and putting yourself out there, being vulnerable is a risk because you're you're worried about what people might say about it. So I could see, I've seen some conversations online where people don't know about repurpose or, or the plastic neutral certification yet, where they see that mark on the package and maybe the the brand itself didn't make it super clear of, of what they were doing with their plastic neutral certification. And people are like, well, what the heck does plastic neutral now? Now we have yet another certification. And what does this mean? And, and is this just kind of some sort of greenwashing tactic to make them feel better about keeping plastic on the package instead of solving that problem. They're just kind of doing some offset or something like that, which is a valid concern. But I know that's also not what actually happens with plastic neutral or or plastic reduction. So can you talk a little bit about when the right time to kind of work with this certification is? Yeah, of course. And I do think as a consumer, it's really important for you to know what's really happening when brands are talking about the impact, because that's what keeping them accountable that's what makes them transparent about their efforts and that's also a really big part of what we're doing i think today it's like you said there's a lot of fear about adopting solutions that you don't think are 100 percent perfect i don't know if you've heard of this term it's called green hushing it's something that's been talked about a lot but it's basically when companies purposefully don't talk about their sustainability initiatives or goals because they just don't want to be told that oh you're greenwashing you're not putting that much effort but it's like when you're talking to all of these brands you really see how much they're trying to reduce and most of the brands that we talk to end up coming to us because they are they can't figure out solutions for the plastic that is unavoidable at the moment if you want to let's say as a beauty company remove the pumps that you use in your products it's really difficult to find 
large scale operations that would help you find alternatives for the plastic pumps and same with frozen food like we just talked about so it's really about making sure that like you said it's progress over perfection and that's a really big philosophy of what we do our ceo swanika actually has a ted talk about this topic and how can you stop that fear of imperfection like how can you not let that fear of imperfection stop you from going further in your impact initiatives so it's like i said before like there is no silver bullet solution and you need reduction and redesign solutions for your packaging at the same time you need comprehensive waste management supply chains that stop the plastic from ending up in the oceans or in landfills and at the same time you need a holistic toolkit for brands to feel empowered to do the same so if i had to ask you a question if you had to guess that in the next 30 minutes that we talk right now how many pounds of plastic do you think would end up in the ocean just in the next 30 minutes globally yeah just in the oceans not even like getting produced not getting landfill just in the oceans oh wow i don't even know if i could venture a somewhat accurate guess let's just say 100,000 pounds i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i would say close but it's not really it's just in the oceans in the next 30 minutes you would have a million pounds of plastic waste that would end up which is over 25 million plastic bottles now when we're talking about removing plastic from our supply chains let's say you end up removing over 50% of it even then that's more than 10 million plastic bottles that are ending up in the oceans in the next 10 minutes and the only way that you can stop that from happening is by having solid waste management systems like really strong waste management systems that are taking the plastic that you as a consumer are very diligently separating you want to make you want to believe that the plastic that you're putting in the recycling can is actually getting recycled but again like i don't know if you read but there was a recent report that said that instead of the 9% that we assumed like the plastic that you're putting in the recycle can is actually getting recycled it's actually been reduced to 5% now oh man exactly like i think we as consumers it's really easy for us to forget where our plastic or where our trash is going once you put it down the trash chute but it's not really like the reality on the ground is not that at all So every single company that is creating impact with us is not just helping us recover plastic that would have anyway gotten recycled. We're focusing we have currently 14 impact projects that are active across South America, Africa, Asia and all of them are focusing on interventions that are localized to that specific area, to that specific geography. So we only tackle the type of plastic waste that you know would not have gotten picked up otherwise or processed otherwise if it wasn't for your intervention. it's just to make sure that you are not getting credit for funding the recovery of plastic that would have anyway gotten recycled but you are helping build supply chains that would last decades you are helping bring additional income for the waste workers who are working on the ground the frontline workers who've been working for decades and decades in some of the worst conditions that you can think of and that's really what drives us as a company like every single impact every single piece of plastic that we fund the recovery of creates intersectional impact because you cannot really solve the environmental crisis without looking at the socio economic side of things you cannot talk about real progress without talking about intersectional impact and that's what we're really doing and that's what drives us as a company if i can share like a little story one thing that we do like every time someone joins the company one thing that we like to do is make sure that they go to some of the impact projects that we have on the ground just so that they can see the reality on the ground so that they can talk to the waste workers who are working 
and so that they can participate in waste sorting exercises, like literally standing at a conveyor belt where a bag of waste is just getting dumped on the belt and like sorting it with the waste workers, just so that you know what everyone on the ground is really doing. As people sitting in our houses very comfortably, it's very easy for us to say, oh yeah, I, I separated, I did my part, it's going to happen now, I don't have to think about it. But when you do those exercises, when you talk to the people on the ground, it's incredible how different it is from what we imagine it to be. I think personally, that was really the turning point for me. Like once I did that, I just realized that there's no way I cannot work in impact. Like it's just something that you have to do. You have to change. That's a really cool story. And it reminds me of, I think it was a sustainable packaging coalition conference that I went to a handful of years back in one of the off campus or out of the convention center that they were hosting it at events was a tour of a waste recovery facility where they were showing us what it looks like to have all of these different mixed materials go through the recycling center and try to be sorted. So a lot of it is sorted by machines in different ways, like by weight or machines that can detect which type of plastic it is and then have little poofs of air push number two plastic over to this next conveyor belt or heavy things will sift down or things that sit flat like paper will get filtered out in some way or things with form will move on to this next area. So they've got all these interesting like engineering ways to do it, but but it's also just really complex and things can clog up those machines. So like for example, flat plastic materials act a lot like paper when they're in these machines or plastic bags clog up the gears and so on and so forth. So it's so complex, like even with all that technology trying to sort that can detect which number of plastic it is through, I don't even know how, like some lasers or something like that. That's pretty cool. But yet a plastic bag gums up the machines and they have to stop the machines like every 20 minutes to like clean out the plastic bags, right? So so there's a lot of people, I think, have this idea that we're we're so technologically advanced that it must be easy to do all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, in some ways, but then there's so many different types of waste and so many different forms, so many different even types of plastic that it is really, really difficult with machines to do it, which means in the end, a lot of stuff ends up having to get processed by people. And trying to do that at scale is just ridiculously inefficient and often really bad working conditions for the people doing that, right? So that's part of what's beautiful about what you're doing is trying to solve for some of those problems by catching things before they end up in the ocean, but then also trying to create awareness and and better circumstances for the people who are on the ground doing that work. Yeah. And I think one thing that your example highlights really well is also the difference between the formal waste management sector and the informal shadow recycling sector that really exists in the global south. When like in absence of formal waste management, where facilities don't even have enough funding to get conveyor belts, much less these high tech machines. And even if they do have that funding, they don't have enough resources to maintain, maintain those machines. And what ends up happening is that all of this waste that gets collected and that gets dumped in landfills, it gives birth to this informal waste management industry, which is inherently very unethical to the point that it reduces a person's life expectancy to as low as 35 years, which when you think about it, it really puts things into perspective. And it also is one of the biggest reasons why we're doing the work we're doing today and why we want to focus on these 
hotspots of plastic pollution because the people who are living there are really the ones who are bearing the brunt of the plastic pollution crisis and it again comes back to intersectionality like we had talked about but unless the people who are on the ground and really working in these conditions are the ones who are being helped and are the ones who have a seat on the table to say that i don't think this is the solution that is the right one there can't really be any real progress like they are the ones who are doing the work and they know what's best to make it better obviously this is a big problem right <laughs> we've been talking about how much of a problem it is just plastic pollution in general or even why are we making so much plastic out of non-renewable resources and why are there so many different types of plastic and why do we make it so complicated that consumers don't even know what to do with it or that it's impossible to create systems to recycle all that because there's too many different types of plastic and you know we could rattle on but this is exactly why <laughs> repurpose was founded you've already kind of gone into the background a, a little bit about the overarching goal but we're talking about this plastic neutral certification that we're featuring as part of this impact driven gift guide but the organization behind that repurpose can you talk a little bit about why it was founded and maybe some some of what you've accomplished to date oh yeah of course it's a very heartening story actually so our co-founders actually met at a thesis class at Wharton in their senior year where they were co-authoring a research paper that was focusing on waste workers in the global south and the waste worker economy and how that can be uplifted and this meant spent i would say almost a year and a half actually just going from landfill to landfill dump site to dump site across asia south america africa just trying to understand what is it that is making plastic pollution the global crisis that it is today and why is the informal waste management industry such a big thing and what are the problems that they are facing and they did this by applying for a bunch of different competitions getting a $1000 grant here getting winning a $2000 prize here just so that they could get the money to be able to do all of this and at the end of their senior year they won they won a competition at Wharton and they all decided after they wrote that 200 page research paper that they can't really just leave it at that so they all gave up their banking consulting jobs and they just packed their bags and they moved to bombay a city that none of them had ever lived in before and there like they spent i would say over a year at least just like following waste workers on their daily routes so waking up at 5 am where are they going now where are, what are they doing now just like listening to their stories just really getting into the ecosystem so that they can figure out what is it that they need one philosophy that we've always had is and which is something that i talked about as well is that it's the people who are creating the impact on the ground who know the best on how to make it better on how to improve the condition so you can't make solutions while sitting for the, uh, while sitting in your houses you have to know what problems they're facing you have to understand their concerns before you provide solutions for them and the tipping point was really so they were living in this tiny apartment outside of like a landfill area and it's one of there's this landfill in mumbai called the dionar landfill and it's the second biggest landfill in asia if i'm not wrong it's so iconic because when you're standing in bombay there you just see on one side that there is this just mountains of trash on one side and on the other side there is this sky uh, there's a high line there's a sky there's a skyline of some of the most posh buildings that you can see most posh offices that you can see and the difference between the two is just it's just incredible and that's what really that's what really pushed them to like figure out like this can't be it like there is no way that funding can't go from here to here like it has to happen in a way that the people on the ground really get empowered and 
I think after that, it was just, there was no looking back. And that's kind of how it's been for every single person who works at the company as well. Like I said, that's why visiting these impact sites is such an important part of the journey because they want everyone to know what the reality on the ground is and what they're helping solve and the impact they're helping achieve. As for like what we've accomplished till date, so we actually hit a really exciting milestone of recovering 40 million pounds of plastic waste across regions like across South America, Africa, Asia, just this month, actually. It's been a long time coming, but it's very heartening to see that this is this is 40 million pounds of plastic that would have ended up in landfills, in oceans being incinerated. And it's just something that did not happen because of the intervention and the funding that our partners have have been able to provide through their products, that their consumers have been able to support them in their journeys of. And at the same time, we have like 15 impact projects on the ground. We have over 2,000 waste workers that we're supporting along, like, alongside their families who have now received increased income, better health benefits, just more health and safety trainings than anything that was ever possible that, that have been able to move from the informal sector to the formal waste management sector. So every time a story like that comes and we get to hear it from like the people who are actually doing this, it's just such a happy feeling because you know that your work is really creating an impact. And at the same time, we do a bunch of other things related to policy. So for example, we co-convened the Innovation Alliance for the Global Plastics Treaty for the UN Plastic Treaty that has been having its session. The third session is actually coming up in Nairobi next month. And the reason that we put this together is, again, just to bring together innovators from across the supply chain so small-scale manufacturers of alternative materials, of post-consumer recycled materials, people who are building new supply chains, is to put them all in one room and give them a chance at the table that's making the decision for how the global plastics treaty is going to look like for every country in the world in the coming years. Now I'm kind of picturing and wishing slash hoping that you're actually taking everyone involved in that project with the UN taking them to a <laughs> recovery site and having them sort some plastic as part of that project so that they so that they see what you've seen right because i to your point most people start to make some of these changes in their life of trying to live more sustainably or trying to work towards impact when they've seen how not working towards impact affects the planet and people around them right so if you put people making policy <laughs> in some of these kind of workshops that you were talking about doing before where you actually sit them down and have them sort some plastic and, and talk to some frontline workers in this waste recovery project, then hopefully they'll come to the table with more informed, but also more empathetic solutions, right? Instead of just sitting in their fancy boardrooms somewhere, having never even seen a recovery site to understanding, like literally having been there doing the work that would be so important for better policies, I think. Not to go off on a tangent, I'll save this for another episode, but like, I think that's part of what's problem with most of our policies is they're written by people who don't live a real life, like a normal life where they're dealing with day-to-day problems that most of us feel. They're in these like protected, privileged environments trying to make laws for people who will probably never see one-tenth of the privilege that they see, right? So it's where why we get all these broken policies. One of the things that we do, one of the initiatives, yearly initiatives that we do is this thing called a plastic reality project, where we invite all of our brand partners, leaders from different organizations for a week long trip to like some of our impact sites where they see managed landfills, unmanaged landfills, collection sites, 
informal facilities, formal waste management facilities, and they participate in the exact same thing that you talked about, just so that they can really see the kind of impact that they're funding on the ground. And every single one of our partners who's been able to visit has come back with such a different view of the entire crisis, just come back so much more motivated to like create change, to like share the impact that they are creating. And that's just such an important part. And I truly don't think that like there is any right time to like start creating an impact. It's about if you want to create an impact, there is always a pathway for you. We even have companies that don't use any plastic in their products that work with us and that that just want to create an impact on the ground through every purchase that is done through there, is done through their platform. So like for every bottle that they sell, they have pledged to recover a thousand plastic bottles. For every can that they sell, they have pledged to recover one plastic bottle. And there are even brands that are pre-launch that want to make sure that impact is embedded into their platform even before they launch their product. So I think it's really just, this is just a pathway to impact certifications. Certifications are just guarantees. Like they're just ways for you to talk about your impact in a very transparent manner to your customers, to your consumers. And then it's just about your willingness. That's it. Yeah. And I love that you say there's no ideal time. Like you don't have to wait till you're at a certain scale or till you've made certain percentage of waste or anything like that. Like this certification or this program can scale with you, right? So wherever you are, it's fine. Just get started there. But you did say like there's no ideal time or no one time to start making an impact. And I would correct that and say there is, and it's right now. Right now. <laughs> start making, start right now. Just start where you are because if you put it off for 10 years, even if you make tiny improvements now 10 years from now when you think oh i'll be ready in 10 years you will have made so much progress between now and 10 years that 10 years from now your progress will be exponentially bigger than it would have been if you waited to start at that date when you thought you'd be quote unquote ready so i i would say start right now in any way you possibly can and that might just be taking the next step and looking up repurpose and what this program's all about so with that said, where can people go to learn more? Our website, it's a great resource. It's a lot of information on impact. If you want to deep dive, if you want to look at specific projects on like which project and which region is creating what type of impact, every single resource is on our website. If you just want to be updated on what we're doing, our social media channels are really good for that. We are constantly sharing stories from on the ground to make sure that you can see the faces behind the impact impact milestones, specific locations, and we're always open to suggestions. So if you think some some area needs interventions or if you feel like there's a particular region that you want to see impact happen in, we love that. We love hearing about it. We love trying things out. We love doing pilots and supporting people who don't have a voice and just getting them a seat on the table. And of course, you can you can reach out to me. I'll always be happy to talk trash with you. <laughs> I love it. Your website is repurpose.global, just for everyone out there listening right now. And then social media channels, it looks like it's a bit of a mix between repurpose underscore global or just repurpose global, all one word. And then for you personally, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that through LinkedIn, through email? How would you like to be contacted? Yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. My email is anjali at the rate repurpose.global. And I'm always happy to talk about all of this. Um, it's something that I'm genuinely really, really passionate about. 
So even if you don't think you're ready to start taking action on your footprint today, but just want to talk and learn more, more than happy to have a conversation. All right. We'll put some of those links in the show notes. If you're listening now and didn't quickly grab your pen or your keyboard and write those down, just check in the show notes and we'll give you some links there for following up. But to sum up that part of the conversation before we move into our rapid round of questions, I just want to say that one of the things I appreciate about what you all are doing is that there's so many certifications out there that basically just measure and verify what people are doing, you know, to help them quantify their footprint and give them like a badge for, oh, you're at this level or you're at that level. But you not only do that, but you also then use that resources from that process to go and actually do real work and actually make progress on the problem you're trying to solve. So I hope a lot of other nonprofits and or certifying bodies can learn from what you're doing and and take their action and their impact to the next step. So I appreciate you doing that. With that said, I say let's dive into a little rapid round. And since this episode is going to be published as part of our impact-driven gift guide edition or series. I thought we would focus the rapid round around gifting or the gift season or holidays. So I'm just going to pop off some questions and just answer however you want to answer it. So first off, what's your favorite type of gift to receive? I would say anything with a note. Uh, (laughs) I'm a really big hoarder when it comes to that. So I have like a big box full of notes, just some like the notes that people send when they're giving you food, when they're sending you food because they're feeling sick or a gift that they've given. And it's just something that I really like to go back to. So every single friend of mine knows that. Every single family member knows that. So even if you're giving me like a chocolate, but it comes with a note, I'm I'm, I'm the happiest person. That's awesome. (laughs) You're almost like with pets who you buy them this like like a cat, a big fancy scratching tower or something like that. And they just spend all their time playing with the box that came in. Box. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the chocolate was lovely, but this note, that's what I'm keeping. So that's cool though. I mean, it's, it's a nice reminder of the gift. So even if you might still absolutely love the gift, but having that note to remind you is fun. It just makes you feel so much more grateful, like every time you're feeling a little low, just to know that you're surrounded by people who really care about you. I love that practice. I might start uh, copying you there. So next question, what's your favorite holiday of the year? Mm, it's this festival called Diwali. It's the festival of lights. It's it's very close to my heart because it's the one festival where it's an unspoken rule in my family that everyone, no matter which corner of the world they're in, will fly back to our hometown just to like spend time with each other. So I'm actually flying back from Seattle next week for Diwali to visit my family. That's amazing. So is it the fact that everyone flies home and spends time with each other that you love? Or is it something about the festival itself? Spending time together is a really big part of it. But of course, like I think it's the festival of lights. So like the entire city is just lit up with like candles, with street lights, just so that there's this, this atmosphere of energy and just like positive energy that's just that's just really warm to be in that sounds beautiful okay so next question where do you like to go to shop for gifts that's a tough one i really adore shopping for gifts and i love like buying little gifts for everyone around me and i love like browsing through little websites like you know small brands that have just started up or 
as you can probably guess, I'm a big fan of Etsy because of that. So I just, <laughs> I just like finding gifts that, you know, that are a little unexpected, that would just be difficult to kind of push in the background. So anything that's new that would make them be like, oh, I didn't know that you could get this. Where did you get this from? Anything that would make someone talk like that, I'm more than, I love getting things like that. That's cool. Plus you're supporting like individual artists or makers, etc. Another platform that I like for that same purpose is Kickstarter. There's just people out there just trying to make some cool project that they have in their mind happen and people pre-buy instead of buying it when it's ready. So I think a combination of Kickstarter and then Etsy is a great way to go if you want to support individual artists or creators. And thrifting, always like thrifting like secondhand pre-loved objects, best thing. Yeah, I was actually just at a thrift store last night. (laughs) All right. So next question, if you could only give one gift to every single person on your list, what would it be? It would probably be, I hope this doesn't sound too nerdy, but it would probably be a book with like a little note in the front (laughs) saying like why I chose that particular book for them. Some of my favorite gifts that I've given to people over the years have been books from like my own library growing up where like I had like highlighted things and I had marked things and like it's it's like a really treasured they're really treasured possessions of mine so like every time I'm giving a book to someone from there like they know very clearly why I did that and why I want them to read it till now every book that I've given everyone's really made an effort and they've read it and they've come back to me saying why they liked it so I think like of course gifts that are new are always great but something that is specifically chosen for that person from something that I really treasure is, is that, yeah. That's really cool. That's actually, um, I laugh because that's what I would have said <laughs> too, I think is a book, partly just because I love books and I think there's so many different types of books and hundreds of books for every individual, right? So like, it's easy to find something very specific for somebody, but then also what I love about books is that it's just a great way to continue learning and continue evolving And so if you want to help everyone else evolve or meet their goals or solve some problem there they have, well, then a book's a great way to do it. Yeah, I recently read a very nice article which was talking about how you should separate buying books as an activity from reading books because all of us have this latent guilt every time we buy a book and we're like, this book has been sitting in my shelf for like 10 years now and I've still not read it. What am I supposed to do? Like you're just staring back at you like, why are you not reading me? But like just buying books when you want them and then like there will be a time when it feels right when you're excited about that book and knowing that it's there is always a good thing. So you just don't have to buy what you're going to read immediately, but you can always buy for later for the future you. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I'll just buy like five books at a time knowing I'm not going to read all these in the next month or anything like that, but I know I want to read it at some point and I want to just have the convenience of just being able to grab it off my shelf or if I'm in a conversation with someone and I'm like, you know what book you need to read? I just want to be able to go grab it and hand it to them and just say, you know, I still haven't read that one yet. So give it back to me when you're done. But <laughs> but and then also just to support those authors, because I have so many friends who've written books and I'm trying to re- work on my own book and I know how much energy goes into creating those books. So and they make like pennies for every book. or whatever. So just like whatever support I can, just like what you're talking about with Etsy or Kickstarter, like I want to support those people who are putting all that effort into bringing something new into the world. Okay, so final question, maybe the most important question since we do talk all about impact on this show. So what does impact driven mean to you? 
I love that it's such a broad term so that it can be really specific to who you are as a person. I think impact driven means something different to every single person that you'll ask this to. For me, I think it's any product or any organization that is just trying to be better than who they were yesterday. Every time a brand makes an announcement about this is what we've shifted to PCR, we have just gotten certified as plastic neutral. We have just reduced our plastic consumption by 50% by transitioning to metal or anything like anything that they're excited about any progress that they want to share i think that's impact driven to me like if you're trying to be better than who you were you're impact driven and i want to support you nice i love that definition since i'm all about evolution like the show was previously called evolve cpg cuz we were you know hoping to share stories of the people who are evolving the industry or continually evolving themselves. And of course, my design agency is called Modern Species and the whole idea was constant evolution. So so I love that you say it's about people trying to be better than they were yesterday because to me, that's evolution, right? If we're constantly looking for ways to improve so that we can know that as a species or as a business or whatever, we're going to be able to survive in the future. But ideally, evolution is not just about survival, it's about thriving, right? So I think... I love your definition and, and I kind of see it as the pursuit of thriving to some degree is, is this idea of evolution, right? So I love that. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure we could geek out for a million more years on all these rapid fire questions or even talking about the plastic problems in the world, but we got to stop somewhere. So we'll stop now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you taking a little time out of your schedule to chat about Repurpose Global, as well as shed a little light on who you are as a gift receiver or gift giver. And also, I just really appreciate you partnering with us on this impact-driven gift guide. We're excited to be publishing this and promoting products that go the extra mile to get these certifications and do whatever they can to promote impact and create opportunities for gift givers and gift receivers to be part of that impact. So thank you for doing what you're doing and thanks for joining us. Of course, I had such a fantastic time talking to you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Plastic Neutral Certification or Repurpose Global, visit repurpose.global. And again, to get your copy of the free gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. If you like this show, remember to help us grow by liking, reviewing, and sharing. If you're new here, don't forget we have over 100 episodes in the archive. Some might be called Evolve CPG, but it's the same show, so dig in for more goodness. If you consider yourself an impact-driven professional, join me over at impactdriven.community, where we're supporting each other's growth as impact leaders. 